0: Tom Maluli is an investment advisor representative with Maluli Asset Management. All opinions expressed by Tom and his podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Maluli Asset Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of Maluli Asset Management may maintain positions in securities discussed in this podcast.
1: Welcome to the Maluli Asset Management Podcast. This is episode number 298. Your uh, trusty co-hosts are here, Brendan Maluli along with myself, Tom Mullooly. Brendan, hello. Quite the week we're having, huh? Yeah, I'm glad it's Friday. Okay, Brendan, let's begin. What do you say to the person who's got money in the market and they're worried. I think that it's totally normal to be worried.
0: I don't. I don't see how you could you could watch what's going on in the market these days and not be uh, worried or nervous to some extent, scared. I think those are all normal normal reactions. But but I also know that when we're putting together investments for clients, any money that is needed or even could be needed, possibly be needed over the next one, two, three years is not at risk in the market. It's in stuff like bonds, uh, it's in cash. It's, it's there and ready for them because those are the the type of investments that will hold their value right now while the stock part of the portfolio does the scary stuff. But we also know that if we give the stock part of the portfolio three plus years, the odds of us being in pretty decent shape are good, but they're good if you hang tight. If you, if you freak out and do something rash in the heat of the moment like this, you don't earn the average long-term returns from stocks that, that we all hear about. Why? Why is that? Because if you sell now, you're taking unrealized losses that aren't locked in yet, making them permanent, and then also putting the weight on yourself of having to decide later when it makes sense to get back in. I gotta tell you, it's not gonna feel any better when the market does find the bottom because we don't know when the bottom is. We can only see it in hindsight. And the news is never you know all rosy. We're not gonna wake up one morning and just be like, oh, guess what? We're 20% higher in a day. It's a process and it's not gonna feel like it's getting better. And then before you know it, it is, and you probably missed out on a bunch of the recovery. So I get it. it. It would probably feel great to dump some investments during a week like this and just put the money in something safer. But if that money has a horizon longer than a year or two, you're actually putting it in something more risky because you're putting it in cash and that's risking the future dollars that you need to spend
1: down the road five, 10, 15 years from now. They won't be growing anymore. But Brendan, what if somebody were to say, well, look, things are really volatile right now. I think I'm just going to sit this out. And then when it looks like the market's getting better, yeah, I'm not going to get the exact bottom, but I'll get back in. Why isn't that a game plan? Because I don't think they will get back in. I think that's that's a big part that never gets discussed in any of the financial media, is that if you're at the point where you feel like you need to rip up the script right now, so that you'll feel better about being out of the way of a tornado. Just explain to me how a few weeks from now or a few months from now, you're going to feel differently. That, yeah, now I feel better and it's okay to get back in. I don't see that happening. Right. And and
0: nobody in the history of investing has shown a reliable ability to get out and in of stocks, uh, into stocks on a consistent basis. Some people might guess and get it right a couple of times. Nobody can reliably do this time after time, and all you're you're doing then, if you're getting in and out, is probably costing yourself some of a recovery in between where where you had to sit out until your feelings got you back into the market.
1: So we've had a, a couple of quotes. In fact, I just wrote this morning about Ben Graham and some of the things that he's said uh, one of the things that he uh, said, and I actually put it in the in the blog post, was that as an investor, you need to become accustomed to the idea that your investment is going to fall by 33 percent or more at least once every five years.
0: I think it's important to consider, though, that for most people, that means the stock portion of their portfolio. Right, and I think something that's important right now for people who are nervous, who, who are scared, is to try as best we can to to remember the feelings now when when stuff is really going poorly, uh, so that when when we do see stocks recover and portfolio balances get back towards where they were before all of this, you can make some adjustments if you decide, hey, I was able to ride that out, but like, Man, that really made me sick. Like, I am that was a little too much for me. And you can put that into the context of your financial plan. Like, what are you going to need from your portfolio? And maybe now, after going through something like this, you have a better idea of what you can stand in your portfolio. I wouldn't let it scare you too far in the other direction. But at the same time, I do think that. These kind of markets teach people what their real risk tolerance is, and and we can't we try as best we can to to simulate that and to have discussions with uh, with clients about it, but there's there's no substitute for experience. And if you've experienced something that just was unbearable to you, I would say that if if you can resist the urge, now is not the time to be making these course corrections, but when when it when we do arrive at a better time to do so to try to remember these feelings because these are real lessons and and sometimes it's it, it's really hard to remember how you felt in the moment i think you can you can learn a lot from this about how much risk you're taking and and what you're truly
1: comfortable with charlie munger also had a similar kind of quote i think he was he was kicking around the number of 50% drawdowns
0: Right. Like he talks about this all the time, as as does Buffett, who are both some of the biggest names who will tell you what I said before, that nobody can reliably jump in and out of stocks uh, over time. Anyone who says they can is full of crap. And he said that you, you need to be all right with your with your holdings getting cut in half and that he and Warren Buffett have seen this uh, in their own portfolios multiple times over the course of their investment history as as partners and That's kind of the uh, price of admission is is more or less the gist of, of what he has to say in that topic. And I think everybody nods their head and says that sounds great when they're just reading quotes like that but then like when it's happening in real time they're like oh no like <laughs> i can't handle this yeah th- this is what it meant like oh that i thought it meant something else we're not even we're not even close to those kind of levels yet of what what mungers talking about but right. i think these these percentages that we're talking about here and the regularity uh, at, at which they occur it's important to stress that that's for the stock side of your portfolio so, so, let's- so if you can't handle your your entire portfolio going down 50% Then you shouldn't be 100% in stocks. So
1: that leads to another question the other side of the portfolio, which is usually invested in bonds or some mix of cash and bonds. We expect that bonds will do well when stocks are not doing well. And that has pretty much been the case over the last few weeks. But We've seen some extremes now in the bond market with some of these yields. Early February, we saw the yield on a 10-year treasury around 1.5%. At the beginning of the selling, it got to 1.3%, which seems kind of normal because people were moving out of stocks and moving into bonds. Over the last couple of weeks, we've seen some even more extremes. You want to talk about that?
0: Yeah, so we've seen yields drop, what, another... 75 basis points from there. I mean, what are what are we? We're above half a percent, but we're below 1% on the 10-year. So,
1: year. well, 10-year is around 0.83 right. at the moment, but there was a time just a few days ago where the yield on the 10-year treasury, 10-year treasury, got to 0.55. Uh, when we're talking about high-quality fixed income like
0: treasuries, the best predictor of future returns, uh, if you're investing in a a mutual fund or ETF. Individual issues, maybe not as much, but uh, you take the starting yield, and that's probably going to be what your annualized return is. If you're buying a 10-year treasury at 83 basis points, you should expect to get something around 83 basis points per year from that investment. There's going to be some fluctuation due to uh, interest rate movement over over that 10-year period, but at the end of it, if you take your return, divide it by 10, it's it's probably going to be pretty close to uh, that that starting yield. And so
1: that's such a good rule of thumb. And most people don't even understand that when they're investing. Yeah. So uh, just to rephrase that, if you get started with a bond fund and the current yield is 2%, that's probably when you're done with this investment, looking back, that's probably what your average return is going to be. Only works for high quality stuff, right? If we're talking about junk bonds, high, high yield bonds,
0: minimum. corporates, uh, it becomes less so. But if you're talking about investment grade corporates, and uh, definitely you know, like U.S. Treasuries.
1: So what does that mean when there's bond investments that last year returned seven or eight percent? Mm-hmm. Even though the yield was, say, one and a half or 2%, some other bond investments that through the first 10 weeks of this year have already returned five or 6%. What is.
0: Yeah, I mean, look at like zero zero coupon bonds are trading like tech stocks in the 90s. Yeah. Uh, they're up like 70% yeah. on the year, some crazy stuff like yeah. that. Well, it just means that, that yields have continued to fall. And that's a combination of the Fed cutting rates over last year and then now just last week right uh and also market action so people are buying
1: bonds meaning prices prices are rising uh while yields are falling so let me see if i get this straight so people are are streaming out of stocks at low prices mm-hmm. and they're going into bonds at high prices
0: yeah so what they're doing is they're bo- <laughs> they're selling an investment while it's down uh considerably and and when the stock market goes down, this is this is the important thing to remember, the expected returns, what we can expect from them moving forward, uh, moves up. So yes, you're taking it in the short term, but because you're taking that hit, the returns that you should expect moving forward are now higher. And And the reverse is true for bonds. If we're buying bonds and the prices are rising in the short term, it feels great. But the starting yield that you're collecting is falling over, over that period of time while more and more people buy bonds and your expected returns are falling in tandem. So you're you're selling an investment when it's about to do, do well on a move forward basis and, and you're buying one that has done well and will probably do less well on a move forward basis.
1: I, I mean, I, I don't want to just repeat what you said, but it's so important that people understand this. When the market is falling and people are panicking and making bad decisions and selling, they're locking in these losses, they're getting out of an investment that will now have a higher expected average return going forward, and they're going into something like bonds, which have already appreciated in price, so there's less money to make there, and actually a higher chance of loss by going into something like that. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean... I think it's important to consider stocks and bonds in, in the context that we're usually talking about them, which is as as a blend in a portfolio, because uh, it's definitely true when you're looking at you know 10-year yields where they are today, that, that bonds on a real basis. So considering inflation, if you're buying a 10-year treasury at today's yield, even if we have low inflation, which we have inflation, it's probably... Inflation is probably going to eat up all of the return that you get on a bond like that. At Even this if point. we
1: have the inflation rate that we've had for the last 10 years, which everyone says has is been low, low right. we've been it's getting still, 1% inflation. It's
0: still higher than, higher than 80 what you're basis points if you're buying today. So, but you're not owning bonds as the head. So these things serve different roles in the portfolios. The bonds are not your hedge against inflation. They never they never really will be. If, if you're looking for real after inflation returns, that's what you have stocks for. Um, bonds are there to be a ballast in the portfolio, and to you know lower the volatility, and to allow you to be opportunistic. If you're supposed to be in a portfolio that's 70% stocks, 30% bonds, and we've gone through. A month now uh, where the S&P 500 25% off its highs, if, if your portfolio is drifted and it's only 60% stocks and 40% bonds now, it allows you to be opportunistic if you can stomach it and rebalance back to your 70-30 target, meaning you're, you're going to do the opposite of what we just talked about. You're going to do the wise thing, which is you're going to take some money from bonds, you're going to put it back into stocks, uh, at some and, pretty good prices, right? So you're going to take it out of something that's appreciated and whose expected returns have now fallen. And you're going to put it into something that has depreciated, but it's expected returns have, have now risen. Again, this should be something that you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be changing your risk tolerance to, uh, get, get aggressive necessarily. But like, if you already had a plan that you should be at a certain mix and you've drifted far enough away from that, and it's still sensible, then get back to that mix.
1: What would you say to someone who has owned bonds and now they've appreciated greatly in recent times, but the expected return or the expected yield going forward on this is going to be equal to what we could, what we might get on a CD? Would you suggest selling or changing the investments to do something like that? I don't know. Uh, you
0: know, I, I think you you could, you could, depending on the bonds that you have, you, you could, you could decide that you don't want to take the interest rate risk of owning like longer term bonds right now, because they're not paying much more than shorter term bonds. But people will tell you more frequently that you can't time the stock market but then say that they're going to they're going to tinker with their bonds mix because they know for sure what's going to happen with interest rates moving forward but th- what they're doing is timing the bond market and I'm not so sure that anybody has a great ability to do that either it's a little it's a little more straightforward than the stock market because bonds are more based on math and less based on
1: you know, feelings in the short term as stocks can be and a fundamental story changing with a company's stock. Right. Yeah, right.
0: But I would be wary of of going overboard with that. Like if you had long term treasuries, I wouldn't pull them all out and put it into like a money market fund. If you had long term treasuries, didn't you have them for a reason? Right. And one of the reasons is probably because they're the best hedge historically Uh, for stock market volatility, because the long bonds are are the most sensitive to interest rates. And if interest rates are falling, people are piling into bonds, then you get the most offset. Those are the bonds that are up the most. Zero coupons are up the most
1: because they're infinite maturity. Longest maturity without the... Uh, the current cash flow that you would get from a coupon. Yeah. Is there anything else that we ought to be mentioning or bringing to people's attention now as this market's starting to hopefully seek a bottom at these kind of levels?
0: Yeah, I, I, I think ultimately paying attention to like how you've felt throughout this this entire ordeal. Now it's been it's been really fast, and I think that that the velocity of the sell-off uh, is definitely contributing to the magnitude. Um, in terms of just like freaking people out
1: it's pretty it's pretty amazing to see we hit an all-time high on February 19th and today we're at 25 percent lower and today is we're recording this on March 13th right not even a month yeah has gone by normally doesn't work this way mm-hmm. and <clears throat> one of the questions that's come up this week is what was different? in 2008, between you know 2008 and a market like this. I would venture to say that this market is behaving more like the market I saw after 9-11, where we had a catastrophic event come out of the blue, really wrecked the markets for a couple of weeks. And then things recovered and business got back to normal. It did tip us into a recession. Even that, you could see things unwinding as time went by this really kind of came out of nowhere in that sense uh and so quickly after reaching an all-time high so just another important uh
0: concept i think is this is another you know a riff on uh ben graham and we've talking about him and munger and buffett uh, earlier on on the podcast and and you you wrote about uh his idea of mr market today uh, but just to, to play off of that, you know, people who feel an urge to, to react or to do something at this point in time, I would say just hypothetically, like, consider here that, that you bought a house for a million bucks, right? And, and you put 20% down on it, you know, when, when you made the purchase. If somebody knocked on your door like a month or two later and said, I'll give you $800,000 for this house, you would laugh at them. But that's the proposition you're facing right now with your stocks a month ago they were they were worth x and now and now somebody somebody just meaning there are people out there somebody is offering to buy them from you but now it's for 25% less than than what you know we said they were worth a month ago i don't know i mean that doesn't really seem like a great deal to me unless you had a reason to sell like yeah if you if you have to sell because you know you need the money to do something else with then then sure but like if you have no reason to sell and no one's forcing you to why would you do it? I don't know why you would accept that offer.
1: Unfortunately, a lot of people aren't even thinking when they're doing this. They just see this action on TV and they say, "I have to do something." Well,
0: I think I think we forget too because it's just clicking a button on the computer now and we don't actually, you know, meet face to face like you would maybe with a a real estate transaction or something like that but like somebody's bu- somebody is buying your shares if you are selling them. If
1: you want to go sell people your stocks for, today. Pe- people forget this yeah. all the time. There is another side to the transaction. Someone yeah. is buying when like, you're selling. They're not the shares aren't just like
0: disappearing into the into the ether. Like that's not how this works. Somebody is buying those and and you've got to you've got to consider why they would be doing that. The investments are so rotten that why would they want them? They might have more information than you. You might be trading with a
1: gigantic institution or hedge fund. Yeah, you don't know the reasons why they're they're out in the market buying. Probably looking for bargains mm-hmm. and probably to take money from you, mm-hmm. money that rightfully belongs to you.
0: Well, what's the quote that in bear markets, uh, shares, shares of stock get returned to their rightful owners? Yes, it's true.
1: It's very true. Well, this has been one of the better episodes that we've recorded. This is episode number 298. Thanks again for tuning in, and we will talk to you on the next episode.